our, our word today. Uh, we, we are in a series on prayer. And uh, today we're going to be looking at um, you know, dad, the, the, the word dad had, it, it, it's funny, it just, it's not funny, it makes sense. It, just, it fits so well with where we're going because uh, as he was talking, I was like, oh, good, I have a good answer for that. <laughs> It goes right with where we're going, you know, uh, the idea of, of surrendering to God and the idea of, of um, you know, we know that there are things that only God can do. And we know we're supposed to let God do what only he can do. But that is, that is easier said than done, right? Uh, that, that is a hard thing to, to accomplish sometimes. Sometimes the, the surrender itself seems like something only God can do, um, we are given a tool for this. It's called prayer. <laughs> prayer is the way in which we, we surrender these, the, especially the hard things in our life. And, and today, um, specifically, we're going to be looking at, a, at a, a, a way to pray, a prayer model, if you will, um, that I, I think specifically speaks to kind of the, 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 the heart that we heard this morning. It, it, is a, it is a phenomenal way to get to the place of surrender. Um, and, and it's based on, uh, it's based on the tabernacle. Um, the tabernacle of, of God. You know, we, we're actually just now um, in, in the, the, the in Judaism, in the, the Jewish faith, they, they have uh, they have a number of high holy days, right? A number of feasts. You've probably heard heard people talk about those. Uh, we just they just finished up one of them, um, one of the big ones. It's called the Feast of the Tabernacle. It, it, it's a feast that's designed to to uh, honor God and celebrate the harvest. It's also uh, a feast designed to remember and celebrate God uh, bringing Israel out of slavery in Egypt. Um, and, and one of the first things that God did when he brought them out of Egypt was he gave them instructions to build the thing called the tabernacle. And the, the tabernacle was the first uh, Really, I guess you could say it's the first church. It was the first meeting, uh, organized place where God said, I want you to build this thing and I am going to meet you there. And the tabernacle served the people of, of Israel for a, a long time. It went, it was portable. They took it with them as they wandered the desert, as they entered the promised land. The tabernacle was, was the place instructed by God for them to meet with him. In fact, the first mention in the Bible of anybody being filled with the Spirit, um, it's interesting, I didn't know until I was studying for this. It wasn't a prophet, it, it, it wasn't Moses, it wasn't Abraham, it, it wasn't anybody maybe you would you know, first think. It was two guys, I didn't even put their names down because I couldn't spell them and you wouldn't remember them. Um, <laughs> but it was the guys that were in charge of building the tabernacle. Were the first people ever mentioned being filled with the Spirit. The tabernacle was an essential part of Israel's relationship with God. It was, it was, matter of fact, one of the first instructions was that it was to be the center of their camp. 
Whenever they, they set up camp, there was, there was all these, I mean, God gave them like a diagram, literally. The tabernacle goes in the middle, and the tribes, uh, you do three on each side, and, and, and you surround it so that the, the tabernacle was the center of their life. Now, we, we, are, not, we are not Jewish, <laughs> and we, are, we do not, uh, we, are, we, are, we don't uh, believe in Judaism, but there are some principles. See, God is still a God that doesn't change, right? His character doesn't change, and, and the way he wants to interact with us, um, it has grown since then. It has been blown wide open with, with the coming of Jesus, but the, the process, the heart behind it is still the same. And so we can, we can see... Um, even in the, in the New Testament, there is, a, there is a shift. The temple doesn't go away, it just transforms. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, Paul writes, Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives within you? John 1, he says, uh, So the Word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. That, that phrase there at the kind of at the beginning where it says he became human and made his home among us. It's tabernacled is the actual translation there. God tabernacled with us. And so the tabernacle didn't, the concept didn't disappear. It just shifted. The tabernacle is no longer a physical construction. It's now uh, us. It's now the, a way that we can still relate and connect and meet with God. And so today we're going to be looking at a, um, a prayer model um, that is based on, on that, that, that initial tabernacle. Uh, this is not... As old a concept as you might think, as, as I, best I can figure, um, it was actually developed by uh, a pastor not too long ago, actually, Yonggi Cho. Has anybody heard of Yonggi Cho? Um, Yonggi Cho is, is uh, uh, you know, we, we think we know about, uh, and we have this perspective that America has like the corner market on mega churches, right? Um, Yonggi Cho would laugh at all of them. I think if you put all the mega churches in America together, he still has them beat. He's a pastor in, in South Korea, and he pastors uh, well over a million people. Um, uh, he, 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 uh, it's one of the, the largest churches, if not, it's got to be the largest single uh, fellowship, maybe in, in human history. Um, and this was this this tabernacle prayer model was something that the that the Lord really uh, laid on His heart as just His personal way of of connecting in prayer, praying, um, and and spending His His time in prayer with the Lord. And He He has shared it over the years. And so I I, I want us to kind of take a look at this. Um, I will say this, this is, a, this is not a formula. No prayer model is the right way to pray. It's, it's just a good way to pray. It's a helpful tool. It, it's, not, um, it, it's not a formula. This is designed to, to help us uh, kind of stay focused. It, this, isn't, uh, 
This, this isn't an edict from, from God. This, is, this, this model is not uh, the absolute only way to, to come to the Father. You, you don't have to spend all of, and do all the steps to, to God hears everything you say. He be, we believe in, in short, you know, short breath prayers and, and all that stuff. You know, if, if somebody cuts you off and all you can get out is Jesus, he hears it. We're not saying you got to jump through all the hoops. there is value in being intentional right if you're gonna if you're gonna speak to to uh somebody that you find is is super important or if you're gonna address you know i knew i was coming here today and i knew i was talking to all you people um today so i spent time thinking about preparing what i was gonna say we should probably do the same thing if we're gonna Go before the creator of the universe. He's probably worth some, some, some preparation before we, 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 we try and come into his presence. Amen? So we're, we're just going to jump, jump into this, uh, the, this model today. So, all right. The layout provides a great guide. So... Here we go. Um, and you saw the picture up before. The tabernacle was not a overly impressive structure by our standards. You saw it before. It was a linen fence all around with a decent size. There it is. Decent sized tent in the middle. And we'll get into all this, this stuff. But that, that was it. Um, that's a pretty accurate representation of it. Um, of course, in the real one, there would be lots of other tents around it with the, you know, the millions of Israelites. But so if we go and go back, yep. So here's the general layout. Um, over here on the east was the main entrance gate, and you would come in. And we see here represented there were uh, there were six primary pieces of furniture that all served a very significant um, part of the the worship experience for for the Jewish people, for the Israelites. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to be looking at each of these pieces. We're going to look a little bit at their, um, their actual function in the tent, what their purpose was. Um, we're not going to get in too far into the weeds because any one of these you could, we could, I mean, there are just the descriptions in Exodus of this stuff is chapters because God was so specific about it should be this many cubits by this many cubits made of this wood covered with this stuff. And we're going to, and then there's all the laws on how to use it. We're not going to try and go through all those details today. Um, but I do want us to get an, an idea of what the primary purpose for each of these pieces are. And then we're going to talk about um, how, that, how that, that translates for us this side of the cross, this side of Jesus' resurrection, what it represents for us. And then I want to give us some kind of concrete, uh, for each one of these, some concrete, what, what do we do here? If the goal is this kind of becomes, can become a, um, an imaginary journey. Yes, I said imagination. Imagination is not a dirty word in church. We are allowed to use the creative side of our brains. Um, <laughs> there is, there, I've noticed there has been a, 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 a kind of a 
dividing line that seems to be happening in the church a little bit over this, our, our imaginations, because, because in culture we see it's, it's, it's being so perverted, right? And, and so in, in the church, we, we always do this. It, it's different every generation, every 10 years. It's a different subject, but it's the same thing. The, the enemy in the world perverts a thing, and then the church is confronted with the dangers of that thing. And sadly, typically our reaction is to just throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? And we don't want to do that. We don't, we, don't have to be a, we don't have to be afraid of something God gave us, right? God gave us our imagination. We have to be wise stewards of it. We have to surrender it to him, but we should still be thankful and take advantage of it, right? So anyway, um, <laughs> so, so we're kind of taking an imaginary walk through this temple, um, is kind of what we're going to do. And then, so we'll give you uh, what it was, what it represents, and then at the end of each one, we'll, I'll give you some ideas on what, what do we do while we're here. In our mind, when we come to, when we come to each of these things, what is, how do I, how do I uh, engage this representation? All right? Um, and then also, guys, if you want to pass those those out now, that would be great. I also, I created, it's, it's not fancy, sorry, I didn't have time to pretty it up, but I did create a cheat sheet for everybody. <laughs> um, so you could take these home and just kind of, it has some of the, don't, don't just tune me out and read ahead, just follow it. But, <laughs> but this will give you some of the basic points that, that we're going to be going over and some of the, some of the practical take home, what to do uh, steps. All right. So let's, let's, let's just jump into it. So we come into the gates, and the first thing we come to is uh, the brazen altar. The brazen altar. What it was. The brazen altar was, was where sacrifices were made. Um, we know that the, the, the Judaism, was, was, uh, their worship was, was centered around sacrifice. God institutes lots of sacrifices. Uh, um, you know, it's a sacrificial system at, at its foundation. And this altar was where it, it, would, it would happen. Um, there, were, there were offerings every morning and every night, um, extra ones on Sabbath and holy days for, for the, the nation. Every morning and night there was a sacrifice. And on every, every feast and every Sabbath and on holy days they would bring extra sacrifices. But that is just the start of it. Um, actually, most of what was going on on the altar was individual sin offerings, individual offerings that a person or a family would bring a sacrifice before the Lord. And this was where all the sacrifices were done. In fact, the, the fire um, in, in the thing, that great on top was like, there was a flame, big flame coming up through there, and that's where they would... They would put the sacrifices and it would, it would burn it up. Um, the fire was always burning because there was always people thinking, remember Israel was, was probably, you know, it, it, at its height was in the millions of people. And can you imagine that many people um, needing to worship? There, there was a lot of sacrifice going on. Um, it was not, the altar was not a, a sweet or a pretty place. Um, it, was a, it, it was a place where, where animals, and not small ones, died and bled out. 
In fact, one of the things that, that you know, we picture in our minds that, that I, I, I think we, we miss is that, like, the sacrificial system was you came, you brought your, your animal, you know, and you handed it off, and then you, you went on your way, and the priest did what they were going to do with it. It's actually not the way it was. You were actually responsible to participate in your own sacrifice. It was the priest that brought it before, um, later in the rest of it, brought it before, put it on the altar and, and, and would do the ceremonial blood stuff. But you as, as the individual were actually the one that killed the animal. It was, it was uh, not, not, a, not, a, not a pretty worship, right? Um, I imagine their, their idea of, of, you know, picking out a Sunday outfit was a bit different than ours. Because when they came to worship, it was going to get messy. This was the, the system that God instituted for man to properly seek God's mercy and grace with regard to, to his sin and regard to his, just his, his life in general. Hundreds, if not thousands of sacrifice every day, every week. This was a, a central part of, of, of their life. So what does this represent? Well, the sacrifice is, you probably can guess it. It represents Jesus, the, the final sacrifice who came, lived, died, rose again once for all to replace that old system. The, the altar represents what Jesus did for us. He died for us. He rose again for us. He paid for uh, the penalty for our sins for us. And in doing so, he offers us many things. He, he offers us healing. It's by his stripes we are healed. He offers us forgiveness from our, our sins, uh, both the, the ones we do on purpose and the ones we're not even aware of. He, 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 the Bible says he, he makes us a new creation through his sacrifice. He offers us protection and power over the devil and all his friends and all his tricks. And he becomes our friend, our father. The altar represents Jesus' great sacrifice for us. It's at the front of the process because it's the starting point. If we, don't, if we don't get this right, it doesn't much matter what else happens in life. It doesn't much matter what else happens in our spiritual pursuits or our desires to please God or our, our attempts to, to be made right or our hopes to have success. If this doesn't get right, nothing will. So what do we do here? We, now we're going to translate that into this, this prayer model we're looking at. How, how, do we, how do we engage this truth? What does that look like? And um, simply, It's simply this. We, we, when we're at the, the altar in our minds, when we come to the altar, we, we remember his acts. And we recite them back to him. The, the, the altar is a place of thanksgiving where we remember what he did for us and, and we, we name it out, we call it out. We thank him for his forgiveness, for his healing, for the calling he's placed on our lives, for the protection that he offers us. Everything we have that is good, we owe thanks for. James says it this way, whatever is good and perfect 
Whatever. That's all of it. If it's good, if it's perfect, meaning complete, if it's, if it's good, if it's complete, it has come from our God, our Father, who created all the lights in heavens and never changes or casts a shifting shadow. If it's good in your life, it came from God and you owe him thanks for it. And, and it's at the altar that we, we do that. We, we begin our, our time by, by, by reminding ourselves and thanking him for the many things that he's done, both, both uh, I don't know what the word is, long ago, you know, collectively, spiritually, and also in, our per, in your personal life. This is, a, this is where we, thank you God for my family. Thank you God that you provided me a, a supportive wife. Thank you that I have a, a, a loving church family, God. Thank you that I have a, a, a job to go to, God. Thank you that I have a car to get me there. All of those things. If it's good in your life, it's from God. And so we spend, we start our time in, in this prayer model just being grateful for the things that he has done, big and small. So that's the altar. And then, then the, the priest would, would move on and the next, the next piece of furniture moving kind of inward would be the, the laver. It's also a wash basin. <laughs> if you want to get the, a term, you'd probably actually know what the words mean. <laughs> it's, it's a bronze wash basin. What it was, it was a large water basin on a stand. And, and the stand is interesting. It, it, it speaks to some of the representation. It was, the stand was made out of bronze mirrors that the Israelite women collected um, as part of the plunder when they left Egypt from the Egyptian, the Egyptian women. <laughs> you remember when they, we, we did, talked about this a number of months ago, when, they, when Israel left, they took the plunder of Egypt with them. They were so desperate to get rid of Israel, they just gave them whatever they wanted on the way out. And one of the things the Israelite women took were these bronze mirrors from their former slave owners and what happened was they all donated them to the cause of building the tabernacle and they fashioned a, a stand for this wash basin so the wash basin here is made out of mirrors and this was where the priests washed themselves after the sacrifice and before they entered the tent of meeting, which we'll talk about in a minute. But this, was, this station was designed for two things, cleansing and reflection. Cleansing and reflection. And what does that mean for us? Well, because of Jesus' sacrifice, and in our prayer model, we've just spent, some, spent time remembering that and meditating on it and declaring that and praising the Lord because of that sacrifice, we can now not only see ourselves cleansed of our sin, but we can be made clean and acceptable to move forward. That's the, the point of the labor. It's a, it's a time of reflection and a time of cleansing. So what do we do here when we're at the, the, the wash basin? We invite the Lord to expose and cleanse the sin within us. This is, this is a time of confession. This is a time of reflection. So much of the time, I think we, um, 
Sadly, I know at least in my own life, I don't spend as much time confessing as I should because I don't have any time, I don't spend any time reflecting as I should. You know? It's like, you ever have, uh, have something in your house that, 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 you know, there's like a crack in a window or some flaw somewhere in your house and it's probably been there for months and years, but you never noticed it. <laughs> so it just sits there and sits there. And then finally, once you notice it, it's all you can see. You know, every day you walk in from, from work and you're ready to sit down and you're like, oh, I got to take care of that thing. Oh. We need to take time to reflect. There are things so much, so often, there are things in our life that are affecting our life, that are hindering our, 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 our concept of ourself. It can even d- distort our own identity that, that interrupts our, our ability to, to communicate with others and with God that we're not really fully aware of because we've never taken the time to reflect and to offer Offer and ask the Lord to cleanse that out of our life. And so that's what this time is. What we do at the labor is we reflect. We ask the Holy Spirit to expose the sin within us, the things that we need cleansed from. And we offer those to God and we ask for forgiveness. It's, it's, it, it, it's not complicated, but it's also not easy. Um, and, and you'll see in the, the, the cheat sheets I gave you, um, you'll, you know, we're not going to go through all, all, all those, but you'll see there's, a, there's kind of a, med- a short little meditation, some questions um, for each of the Ten Commandments. And that doesn't mean every time you, you do this model you have, to, you have to go through all ten every time. But this I thought was a good, but this is one of those areas that I think we... Um, Many of us could use a little help just being intentional about it. Um, and so I, I, put those, I put those in there. Um, I, will highlight, I will highlight one, maybe two, we'll see. Uh, <laughs> and, and one of them is the, the, the third commandment. And, and I highlight this one because it's one of the most misunderstood, misrepresented, misappropriated, I'm going to say appreciated, but uh, uh, commands uh, uh, in, in the Ten Commandments, I think. Uh, Thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. Right? We've, we've reduced that uh, in our collective kind of understanding to don't cuss. Right? <laughs> don't cuss and, and basically don't say, don't say any word that refers to the Lord when you're angry. That's, that's our kind of working definition or understanding. But, but that, is, that is such a small little tiny sliver, maybe not even applicable to what this originally was. Now, look at the questions that, that are tied to this because they take a little bit of a different turn. Have I taken, uh, that should be I, not is, have I taken credit or given credit to someone else for something God has done? As anyone who bears his, as a, as one who bears his name, have I misrepresented you? See, God's the Hebrews in, in 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 ancient Hebrew they understood that God God's name was tied to His people. You are by by 
By being his son, by being his daughter, by being his heir, you are his representative. And so taking the Lord's name in vain isn't so much about saying a, saying a, a coarse word as, as, as it is much about living a life that doesn't honestly reflect the nature of God. That dishonors who he is in this world. That's a lot harder than just not saying the F word, isn't it? <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm going I'm to move on. There, there's, but there's lots of these we can look through. And, and, and I encourage you in this model um, to maybe you don't have the, the, the time or the stamina to, to really reflect on all of these every time. But, but you could maybe take a few, you know, each time you do it. Okay, so we reflect, and then what do we do? We've reflected, you know, we, we, we've, the, the Holy Spirit will, in fact, if we're honest and we're open, he will highlight, he will bring to mind, he is faithful to, to even, I know you, you, you may be saying, well, I don't, I don't really hear from the Lord. Yes, you do. You're wrong, you do. <laughs> you don't always recognize it, maybe, but, but. Do you really think you, you are, you are uh, your ineptness is greater than God's ability? <laughs> no, I don't say, nobody's that deaf, right? <laughs> God will and does speak to our hearts. It's only by his spirit that, we, that any sin in our life is illuminated. It is only by hearing his voice that we respond to any call of God. It's only by him speaking do we, do we come to him. So you can't, if you are here, if you are a child of God, you can't say you haven't heard him. Because it is only by hearing him that you're here. So good news, you can hear God. So we, we but we, so the Holy Spirit's going to illuminate this stuff. Then what do we do? Well, we confess it. <laughs> we say, God, I, I, I own that. Forgive me of that. Right? Which makes sense. And we get that. But the final part of this is, well, you need to understand and solidify and take a moment to recognize and not just confess and not just ask for forgiveness, but to receive that forgiveness. This is a crucial part that we, we tend to, to slip on. Um, 1 John 1, 8 says, If we claim to have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. David says in, in Psalms 103, For his unfailing love towards those who fear him, so those who who acknowledge their sin, who are humble and, and ask for forgiveness, is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sin as far as the east is from the west. When we confess, it is, it is important that we also declare the cleansing, that we understand, that we, we, we receive the, the, the forgiveness I'm sure you've, you've had, um, just in your own relationships with people, it is hard to have a relationship. It, is, it, it puts strain on relationship when somebody um, doesn't believe you when you forgive them. 
Anybody been in those situations, had those relationships where you, you, you love the person or you like the person, depending on how, how close you guys are, um, but they just are always, like, you're always operating from like this, they're always operating from this apologetic kind of stance where it just, you just know that they, you think that they always think you're upset with them. They always feel guilty about something. <laughs> It, it, it can hinder the relationship. It makes it hard to be intimate. It makes it hard to be honest. It, it makes it hard to have fun. When every, you know, when, when somebody's just always, their perspective is they, they're always in the wrong. When their perspective is you forgive them for something, but they can't let it go. They still feel guilty for it. They still want to make, try and make up for it. They want to um, constantly want to rehash it and bring it back up. And you're like, oh, it was not a big deal. Can we just move on? <laughs> that can happen in our spiritual lives. God's saying, look, I, 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 have, I came for you. I loved you. I died for you. I rose, I rose from the dead for you. You asked me to forgive you. Do you really think I would do all that and then withhold the thing that I provided? So we take the moment and we receive the forgiveness and we're cleansed. And now we're ready for the next step. See, all this was outer court stuff um, that we've been looking at so far. We haven't even made it into the actual structure yet. We've just been in the you know, open skies and the, the outer court. And now we move into the, the, into the actual tent. And the first, there's two chambers in the tent. And the, the, the first chamber was called the holy place. A holy place. And there was three, three things in the holy place. The menorah or the lampstand. The table of showbread. That's not a misspelling. That is how you're supposed to spell showbread. I don't know why, but that is. I checked. <laughs> um, and then the altar of incense. These three pieces of furniture make up the Holy of Holies and, or not the Holy of Holies, but the Holy Place. What does this represent? Well, um, the candlestick was a, was a functional piece. It was, it was there because you're in a tent and they didn't have electricity yet and so you needed to see. <laughs> so the, the candlestick was there as a function. It, it lit the room. It, it, what does that mean for us? It, it represents the light of the Holy Spirit. It represents his illuminating truth and, and, and force in our life. And what is it? So what is it illuminating? Well, it's illuminating one, the, the table of showbread. The table of showbread was a small table and it always had, it always, always had, had bread on it. Six, or uh, I think it was like 12, one for each tribe, uh, if I remember correctly. Uh, these loaves of bread on it. And they would... Part of the, the priestly responsibility was they were to every week uh, swap them out and put in, put in fresh bread. And this speaks to us to, about Jesus being the bread of life, that his, his word sustains us. So the Holy Spirit illuminates Jesus. And we see that over and over in Scripture, that that is the work of the Holy Spirit is to make Jesus famous. 
So the Holy Spirit illuminates this bread of light. It illuminates his word. And there's, there's kind of two words that scripture uses when it talks about um, God as word or, or the word of God. And it's, uh, the first one is logos. It's the, the word we use when we talk about God speaking into creation. It's the, the word we use when we're talking about scripture itself. And so it, it, it illuminates the Holy Spirit wants to illuminate the logos, the bread, the, the word of God and the scripture. He wants it to come to life. So this is, um, this is a, a place where, where God's word comes to life. Another word we use to, to, uh, that we translate into word in, in scripture is the word rhema, which speaks of, a, of an active, a spoken word. This talks to us about, you know, God, God said everything that he absolutely needed to say in Scripture, and it's all true. But he didn't stop talking just because he got done writing. He still has things he wants to say to you. Now, those things are never gonna, those things are never going to contradict. Anything that he has spoken in his logos, in his word, it will never violate the nature and character of Christ, and it will never violate the truth that is found in his, in his word, in the Bible. That's why he... he but the, one of the main functions of Scripture is, it's literally, you know, we, they call Scripture the canon. Canon literally means measuring stick. The whole, one of the primary functions of Scripture is that we have something to weigh uh, his rhema word against. It, it, it's, it's designed to make sure that we can, we can trust uh, the spoken word, the things that God is still saying to us. Even now, it gives us something that we can measure it against to make sure that we're not, we're not being deceived and that we're not, we're not hearing an error. But it also testifies to the reality that we should expect to be hearing from God now. It's Logos and his rhema. Illuminated by the, the, the menorah, the, the light of the Holy Spirit. And then both of these things converge on the altar of incense. This whole purpose of this moment in the holies, what's the function of it? If you had to sum it up in a word, it would be simply worship. We're, this is where we offer our worship to the Lord. How do we do that? Well, we invite the Holy Spirit. We listen for his rhema. We read his logos. We ask him to open our eyes and our heart. And then we, we remember who he is and we recite who he is. See, at the beginning, we were talking about what he did, his acts, right? The altar. Now we're, we're in the holies. We're, we're deeper into the more relational stuff. We worship him from scripture, from who, who, who we know him to be. This is where we remember not just what he did, but who God is and what he said. And we offer that back to him. God, you are, you are merciful. Not just God, thank you that one time that I didn't get that speeding ticket and the cop let me go. <laughs> 
But now we are, now we are enraptured and we are focused on, on his magnificence, on his, his character, on his glory. And we recite that back to him. We use scripture and we use our own lives of what we know to be true. This is, this, is the, this is the place, this is the moment where we offer that to the Lord. Now notice we are, we are almost out of furniture. <laughs> and we haven't asked for a thing. That's a, that's a healthy model. Um, and there's a reason for this. Because in doing these things, in this progression, when we, when we spend so much time on all these other things, most of, the, most of the, much of the transformation that you are looking for in your life will come through this, not from the requests. Most of our problems, we have a lens problem, not a, not a resource problem. Most of, much of the things that we struggle with in life, we, we, from our perspective, we, we assume we have all this list of like these external things that need to happen for the problem to get fixed. But the reality is, in a lot of them, it's actually you that need transformed. And that happens while we set our eyes on Jesus. That happens in his presence in worship. Not just in him fixing our leaky faucet or whatever. So we spend time in worship and it transforms us. And then, now we are, we are ready to, to do what, the, what they couldn't do, what only one priest got to do once a year when the original tabernacle was made. We get to enter the Holy of Holies. You remember when Jesus, when Jesus died, the veil ripped from top to bottom. It was the Holy of Holies that that, was, that veil was separating Right? That's where the Ark of the Covenant was. It represented his, 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 his manifest presence. Right? The Ark was, the, ark was the, the thing, the epicenter of God's power. You, didn't, you literally didn't touch it because you would literally die. And I mean that like literally, literally, not like, like a millennial literally. Like really, your heart would stop. Like documented cases of death. <laughs> it was that powerful. Once a year, a priest got to enter and would, would offer a blood sacrifice on behalf of the nation. And it was, it was a fearful, it was a, a scary, it was a solemn moment. In fact, they, when they would send him in, they would send him in with a rope around his ankle just in case if he didn't do his purification right. Or he bumped the thing the wrong way and he got struck dead. They wouldn't have to go in after him. They could drag him out. They put a little bell on him so he's walking around. They could hear him ringing and they knew he was still okay. But when Jesus came, when, when Jesus died, he, he ripped that veil and he gives us access. And not a fearful access, but, but open access. We get to go behind the curtain to the very presence of God. What does that, that represent for us? 
This is the moment now where we, have, we, we, we get to uh, interact with him in the most intimate of ways. This is the moment where we actually get to, to make a request of the God of the universe. It's a crazy thing. It's a crazy idea that, that God would actually enlist, enjoin, want us to talk to him. He wants us to ask him for things as if our requests are, are somehow helpful in any way. So how do we, how do, we do that? This is... This is where there's intercession. And, and for this model, I, 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 I suggest um, uh, uh, what's called a ripple prayer. So basically, you just you start with yourself. I know that sounds selfish, but it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. Start with yourself. And, and, and what, trust me, if you walk this process... By the time you get to this, what you're praying for yourself is going to be very different than what you thought you were going to be praying when you first started the process. But pray for yourself. What, what do you want? What do you need? And then like a, like a stone in a water where you have the, you know, the ripples go out, go to the kind of the next layer in your life. Just pray for yourself. Then pray for your inner circle, your family those absolutely closest to you. And then your next circle out, maybe your, maybe your church family, maybe your, your work, your coworkers, you know. And then just keep, you know, community, po- political stuff that's going on, missions, you know, the church at large, whatever. Just let it branch out from there. And again, there is not a, there, notice there's no, I didn't put a, a, a time limit on any of these. This isn't a, <laughs> this isn't a, a, and there's a number of, actually, if you go online and, and, and search, do just do a Google search for tabernacle prayer model, you'll see a bunch of people have come up with their own versions of these. And, you know, I haven't, obviously I haven't, I haven't read through all of them, but I looked at a number of them, and, and they, they can be helpful. You know, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say don't, don't check those out. Most of them have sample prayers, or just, hey, pray this, which can be a, can be a good way to, to kickstart something, but I would encourage you to, the whole point of it is you talking. And liturgy, liturgy is, can be powerful. I'm not, I'm not disparaging liturgy, but let it be a springboard. Don't let it just be a crutch. And then once, once you've done your ripple prayer, um, you, can, you can end as you see fit. In my experience, you will most likely end up back, back at Thanksgiving. Because <laughs> it just feels wrong to end any other way. But I want to encourage you, this week, would you take the challenge... And try this. It may not be the, you know, like I said, this isn't the, the right way to pray. I think it's a good way, a really good way to pray. Um, but would you, would you try?
try this. And, and I would even offer to you, if this is un, maybe a little uncomfortable, you, or you, you don't have a very structured uh, prayer life or haven't done something this, this long time. This looks like it's going to take a while. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I would give yourself permission to set a time limit. If that's you, if you're a little like, oh, this sound feels overwhelming, fine. Just start with like three minutes. Like literally get out your timer, um, you know, on your phone and just say, I'm going to spend three minutes at each station and just start that way. You'll be surprised, one, how, how fast it goes. <laughs> and I think many of us will be, you'll be surprised at the end, like, wow, I just spent, I just spent 20 minutes. I just spent 15 minutes for some. That'll be the longest single prayer session you've ever done. That's fine. That's 15 minutes longer than many, 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 many people will ever spend in prayer. <laughs> so I, that's my challenge to you this week, at least once. And then as you do it, actually do this too. If you would be so kind, I would love to hear how it went. So if you want to email me, just Jeremy at Christian Assembly. Um, I would love to hear how it went, good and bad. You know, hey, you know, it went amazing. God showed up and an angel brought me a check for $7,000. Great. It went horrible. I was confused the whole time and ended up just replaying the Buckeye game in my head the whole time. Whatever. Feel free to, 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 I just, I would love to, to, to hear what, how, how it went. Um, amen. Let me pray for you and then we'll, we'll get out of here. Father, we, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for prayer. We thank you that you, you, you entrust us um, with this privilege and this responsibility. God, thank you for, for giving us uh, helpful models, helpful tools to engage you. God, I pray for us as a community this week. Would you, would you uh, call us to yourself in prayer as we, as we pursue you with this, just this practical, uh, simple tool? Would you, would you use it to, to call us closer to yourself, to transform us, God? God, we want to be people of prayer. We want to be people that, that don't just... Um, know how to pray, but that actually pray. And that, that prayer changes things. It changes things in us. It changes things in the world. It, it advances your kingdom and it brings your kingdom here on earth. We pray these things in your name. Amen. 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 You guys have a great week.